This morning's scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy one and the, both one and the other. The body is not made for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and God raised the Lord, and will raise, also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we have your words, that we have your words that we can look and study. And Father, we pray that your Spirit would enlighten us this morning that he would seal these words in our hearts and in our minds, Father, so that they would become part of us as we go about our lives. And Lord, I pray that the words I speak be not of myself, but be glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you've ever watched children, and I'm sure that most of you have, and as you watch children, it's really kind of fun to watch them on a camera that they don't know is there. And if they're getting ready to do something that they know they're not supposed to do, most of the time, they'll look around. They'll see if anybody's watching before they end up doing it. And it's sort of the same way with with criminals. If you've ever seen a criminal that's about to do something that they're not supposed to, they kind of look around to make sure no one's watching. And that's quite frankly why most crimes occur under cover of darkness because they're worried about other people seeing them. But as you will note, I have never seen the situation happen where they do one of these and then do one of those. You see, this whole notion or idea that we look around to see who is watching is an atheistic notion. It is a notion that we're only worried about others seeing us and not worried about the one true judge that we will face at some point in time in the future. We don't worry about him, and and those that act that way don't worry about him either. But we're different, right? We're, We're different than those. We believe in God. We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and gave himself up and stood in our place so that we wouldn't go through the judgment that we all deserve. We should be driven by a desire to please God first and foremost in everything that we do and not the pleasing of men but unfortunately oftentimes we worry about pleasing others and most of all we worry about pleasing ourselves because without God then we become slaves to those selfish desires that we have whatever the situation may be whether we want someone else's items you name it whatever you can think of We tend to want to please ourselves. 
And I would propose to you this morning that that's not the way we should be as Christians. And I think we're going to see that as we go through this passage this morning. The goal of that entire passage that I read is found in verse 20. The very bottom of that. When he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And I think that flies in the face of how we think day to day, right? It's my body, it's my life, I'm going to live it how I want to. But Paul tells us something vastly different here. That's not the case. That's not correct. So let us keep that in mind as we go through this passage this morning. But before we get into this morning's passage, I want us to go back and I want us to look at at part of last week's passage to get some context that we need going into this morning's. So we jump back to verse 9. Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. As, which, as such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So Paul goes back and he makes a laundry list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, some of you were in that group. And the only reason he uses the word some, as I pointed out last week, is he's referring to those that are are saved. Everyone's in that group whenever they come out of the womb. It is some get out of or removed from that group when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So he said, some of you were in that group. But then he says, you're better than that. You're better than that. Why are you better than that? Because you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. And not only were you done those things or those things done through you and in you but you were done that were done to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God so you don't act like those that I've just mentioned because you are better than that someone has loved you much more verses 9 and 10 those first few Paul talks about individual acts, right? Greedy, swindlers, idolaters. He goes through a list. Individual things that people do. But then on, in verse 11, this, this focus shifts. It, it shifts on what God did for us. We're doing things, but then it all of a sudden comes around to where Paul's saying, God did something for us. He did something because of those individual behaviors that we did in verses 9 and 10. God has done something in response to that. And we expect more from you because of what God has done for you, for each one of us. That, that's the gist of Paul's argument here. And so now, with that backdrop in mind, we ver- move on to verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. 
So Paul's gone through a litany of different things and activities of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, you were part of that group at one time. Some of you were part of that group at one time, but we expect more from you. And then he goes on to talk about how he acts as a Christian. And you remember, and we've talked about this several different weeks as I've gone through this section, how God took out the heart of stone and he inserted a heart of what? Flesh. And wrote his commands on that heart of flesh instead of the stone tablets, the commands were written on our hearts. Now, now that heart of flesh did two things. It encouraged us to act out of love instead of out of obligation or a law rules written on stone tablets he said we're going to break those rules you're not going to act out of obligation to keep those rules you're going to now act out of love and devotion for him and in so doing it set us free it gave us liberty in that we don't have to worry about what we do saving us or what we don't do saving us and from those two we get a law of love and a law of liberty, which is different. It, those are intrinsic instead and opposed to extrinsic stone tablets or rules. And Paul begins verse 12 by saying, I'm free. I am 100% free. I am under no legal responsibility to do certain things or refrain from doing certain things just so I can enter the kingdom of heaven. I have been set free. Now he says, all things are lawful for me. But then he pushes back. He stops a little bit and he pushes back. But not all things are helpful. And I think there's dual meanings to this. I think we can connect helpful with dominated. Being helpful things and things that dominate us. Because Paul is saying, and you're going to see when I talk about the things that dominate us, that it's easy to become enslaved if we practice non-helpful things but above that and more than that I believe that that Paul is looking outside of himself all things are lawful but I don't think all things are helpful I don't think all things that I could do builds up others and I think that's the important point of the law of love the law of love looks outside of ourselves and looks toward others, and looks to building up others. In chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And it builds up others. We're not trying to build up ourselves. The, the whole goal is to build up each other, to encourage each other. So there's a connection between building up and chapter 8 that we will get to, not today, as well as being helpful. The law of love, uh, as I said, looks outwardly as opposed to inwardly under the old covenant. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens so, that, so to fulfill the law of Christ. And I would propose to you that the law of Christ and the law of love is wrapped up in the same thing. Paul says that by conducting ourselves as unbelievers, while we claim to be believers, we're not helpful to anyone. Not at all. 
if unbelievers see our conduct the same as they see theirs, that's not helpful. That's not building them up. It's not encouraging them to know Christ. We aren't loving them if that's what we are doing. Then we get to the second part of this. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. He's, he's saying that the question should, should not be, am I free as a Christian to do this? That, that should not be the question. Instead, the question should be, will this food, will this drink, will this hobby or sex, will it enslave me or addict me? That's the proper question. Will it so ensnare me to take my eyes off Christ? Will it become an addiction to me? That's the law of liberty. Yeah, we're free. And that's what he's saying. I'm free, but I will not do things that may enslave me or addict me. And I've talked about this many times before. We are addicts in a lot of different areas and in a lot of different ways. God gives us a lot of gifts, and those gifts are magnificent, and they're so wonderful and fun and enjoying that before we know it, we can be addicted to them, and we have totally lost sight of God, and whatever that gift is then becomes our God, and we are enslaved to it, and that's exactly what Paul's saying here. Everything's lawful for me. But I guard against those things that may end up enslaving me or dominating me, whatever they may be. He's encouraging us to watch out for those types of things. So ultimately, there are, are two laws that continue to govern us as Christians. The law of love, as we see in that first part, that we look outside of ourselves. We do things that are uplifting, that are helpful to others. Because we love Christ and we love each other, it naturally flows from that heart of flesh. And then there is that law of liberty. Yeah, I can do anything I want, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to because I may very well end up enslaved to whatever activity that is. Paul doesn't deny that we're free. He doesn't deny that at all. He only says, if you're a true Christian... If you really cherish Christ as your treasure, then you are going to be driven out of a law of love. Love will empower you. And you're not going to be driven out of a desire for self-gratification. As I said, the law of love flows from the heart and from that heart of flesh that God gave us under the new covenant. So what are the dangers that are associated with becoming enslaved? As Paul says, I'm, I will not be dominated by anything. What, what's the danger in that? What's the danger in that? Well, I will tell you that it hardens our hearts. If we become enslaved to an activity, whatever it is, then we no longer see the dangers of it. We become numb. We don't hear the Spirit of God speaking to our hearts. If we say that our bodies are made for food and food for the bodies and drink and food and that's all going to be destroyed and we're going to get to that in a minute, 
then we reach a point where we no longer care. When we say that we can do whatever we want all the time, anytime, then there becomes that point where we don't really care anymore. There's no worry about any of our actions at all. And in chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You stand? Very good. You think you stand? But you better be careful because you can fall. Where do you think the backsliders and the apostates the Bible came from? They came from people who little by little in seemingly unimportant things stopped listening to the voice of God. In Hebrews 12, the writer speaks of Esau and he speaks of a warning. Esau sold his birthright. We all know that, right? And then he sought the blessing. Did he get the blessing? No, he didn't get the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no chance for repentance, though he sought it with tears. First Timothy, Paul wrote about Hymenaeus and Alexander's fall. He wrote that they shipwrecked their faith, was the quote. They shipwrecked their faith because they failed to listen, listen to their conscience. They destroyed their own faith. Chapter 9, verses 25 through 27, one of my favorite passages. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he's encouraging the Corinthians to be watchful and exercise self-control in your Christian walk. And he encouraged them in this so that they wouldn't shipwreck their faith. I've told you so many times, it's not about the start, it's about the finish. And if you start and you get three quarters of the way there and you walk away because you've shipwrecked it all, then all that work that went into that three quarters of walk was useless. You wasted it. It was wasted time. Wasted everything. How sad it would be to dedicate so much time and energy to something for so many years and then when the finish line is in, is in sight, we shipwreck our faith. That is why Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, what do we do with it? We pluck it out. Pluck it out. Better to lose a member than to lose eternity in hell. That's a pretty harsh statement, right? I mean, there's probably no other more delicate part of our bodies than our eyes. We, we cherish sight and the ability to see things. But Jesus says, if that's going to cause you to stumble, if that's going to cause you to end up shipwrecking your faith to the point where you walk away, take it out. It's not worth it. Because there will be a time in the not-too-distant future you will wish you had. 
And God has warned us by writing these things down so that we can be on watch and not be enslaved by anything that may end up ruining our eternity. Paul continues in verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Now, this is a slogan of the Corinthians. It's a little hard to understand the way that it was written, but this is the Corinthian slogan of everything. And they had this idea that it didn't matter. I could drink as much as I want to drink. I can eat anything and as much as I want, and it doesn't matter because the body was made for food and food for the stomach. God's going to destroy them both in the end, so who cares? The only thing that mattered to them was, I believe in Jesus. And I'm not saved because of what I do. And because of that, we eat, we drink, for tomorrow we die. And that was a dangerous situation to be in, in the Corinthian church. And then he transitioned, he transitions this to sexual immorality. And I believe that they have the same slogan with respect to sexual activities as they did to food in the stomach. It's what the body was made for. It was made for the body. The body's going to die. Who cares? Paul says that's not the correct understanding of that. I mean, after all, we've seen that they were boasting of a man that attended the church week in, week out with his mother-in-law, right? They were together. And so he knows the depths of the corruption that was within the church at that time. And Paul objects to this slogan that they have as they led their lives. No, instead, he tells us exactly why the body was made and who it was made for. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So he tells us something that's vastly different than what the Corinthians believe to espouse in their slogan. In fact, verse 20 that we've read and looked at first tells us that our bodies are to glorify God. That we are to glorify God in and through our bodies. Thus we have to take care of them. And the things we do with them and to them should communicate how or how much we think of God. Christ is not indifferent to our bodies. In fact, he has set up his temple in our bodies. And so that reflects upon us what we should do with our bodies. The Spirit of God resides within us as believers. And as God raised the Lord, he will also raise us up by his power. So then he references this fact or notion that that God's going to raise up our bodies the same way he raised Jesus' body. No different. It's going to be resurrected. Thus they have importance with God. Though they might die and decay for a season, 
they will be resurrected. Every one of them, not just believers, but every one of them. So they have a great deal of meaning to God and importance to God. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So, so Paul makes an analogy here. An analogy with members of Christ, then also joining with members of a, or with a prostitute. And they becoming one and Christ becoming one. They say, look what you're doing to your body. Look what you're dragging it through, and it matters to God. The two situations are opposites. And you're, you're degrading something that matters to God. And he goes on in verse 18. So he tells them, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, for you whom you have from God? So he makes a distinction here, and it's a critical distinction. He says, the sins you commit with your body in the form of sexual immorality, they're different. Perhaps even more grave because everything else you do outside and you're not doing anything to your body, but he's saying, this is serious, serious, or these are serious types of sins because the Spirit of God resides within that body that you are destroying with your own actions. So he says, be careful. You, sh you shouldn't be doing these types of things because your body is God's temple. And then we get to the, the final part of verse 19 that seems to wrap all of this up. You are not your own. You are not your own for you were bought with a price. I really wish they hadn't separated that part of 19 and 20, but they did, so I can't do anything about it. But you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. What a powerful passage that is. How often do we think about that? It's my body. Gosh, turn on the, turn on the TV. You'll see that slogan all over the place, right? It's my body. I'll do with it whatever I want. Paul says, no, it's not your body for those who believe in Christ. Christ purchased it. And it was purchased with a price, and it wasn't a cheap price. It was the sinless blood of the Savior that bought and purchased our bodies. And I hope that changes our perspective a little bit when, when we look at it in that way. So oftentimes we think and we take this selfish attitude with respect to our sins. And 
they become trivial to us because it's me, I will do with it whatever I want. No one's going to tell me how to deal with it. Paul said, no, that's not right. It's not yours. Your body has been purchased by God for a very high price. And in that purchase, it changes what we're supposed to do with it. In the beginning, what we're doing with it, we're glorifying ourselves, right? We're, we're succumbing to pleasures of the flesh, whether it's the food or the drink or the sexual activities or whatever else you do with your body, it's all about me. But whenever we accept Jesus and he becomes our treasure and we follow him, that perspective changes to where the focus of our bodies should be on God all the time. You know, it used to be the case, and I hope it still is, that when we would borrow something, we were, tried to return it better than what we found it, right? And I'm sure a lot of you that are my age or older know all about that. I hope that the, those of you that are younger know all about that. But we were so thankful and grateful that someone allowed us to borrow something that we took better care of that object than what we would our own. And we did that out of a sense of gratitude. We thank you for allowing me to borrow that object and I'm going to return it in better shape than it was before I got it. You may fill it full of gas. You may clean it up nicer than what you got it. But those were just small little things to let the, the person know that, man, I really appreciate you allowing me to do this. It's our bodies. It's our bodies. They belong to God. They don't belong to me. What we do with these borrowed bodies matters. That's exactly what Paul's trying to tell us here. We glorify God by abstaining, by pushing back to those activities that Paul says, they're all lawful. They're all legal. I can do them all, but I choose not to. I choose not to because it doesn't help others. And lo and behold, at the end of it all, I may get so wrapped up in it that it causes me to stumble and shipwreck my own faith. So, as we close this, look at our, our lives, our walks, our bodies in a little different light this morning. No one understand that this isn't ours, that this is God's. And yeah, although it may decay, and your hips may hurt, and your eyes may go dim, and your hair may change colors, he's going to raise it up again. Just because it gets put six feet under the ground doesn't mean it's going to stay there. He's promised us that he's going to raise us, and our bodies are going to be made new. But nonetheless, they are his. And let's be respectful and glorifying Him in everything that we do to it, each and every day. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Spirit's words as they were conveyed to us by Paul to the church at Corinth, but Lord, how applicable they are to us so many years later. Father, help us to exercise the self-control in our bodies. Help us to act as an athlete does, Father to be disciplined in our lives. 
to know what Paul means when he says everything's lawful but not everything's helpful. Everything's lawful but I, I choose not to be a slave to anything. Let us take that slogan and make it ours instead of the slogan that the stomach was made for food and the food was made for the stomach and that you're going to take them all in the end anyway. Help us to glorify you in our actions each and every day. For it's in Christ's precious name. Amen. All rise.